RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Police say a mother and son arrested over a weapons find are now suspected of a national security offence. A construction worker is jailed for four years for rioting and police refuse to allow a National Day protest over the group of Hong Kongers detained in Sunjun. Police say a woman and her son they arrested yesterday for allegedly possessing weapons are now also suspected of breaching the national security law as well. Wendy Wong reports. Police arrested a 49-year-old woman and her son, who's 23, in the early hours of Thursday morning at their home in Fanling. Officers say the pair were linked to the discovery of a pepperball gun, two combat knives, an expendable baton, a bulletproof vest and 15 military-grade respirators. Senior Superintendent Li Kui Wa of the police's National Security Department says officers believe the weapons are to be sold via social media. And on the same social media page, he says, there were messages promoting Hong Kong independence and the use of violence, as well as calls for people to fight against the Chinese Communist Party. As well as weapons offences, the mother and son are now also suspected of inciting secession, which comes under the national security law and carries a maximum punishment of life in prison. Senior Superintendent Lee also says the force fears that the weapons seized might have been destined for use in attacks on police at future anti-government protests. A 26-year-old construction worker has been sentenced to four years in prison for rioting and other offences over a siege of the police headquarters in Wan Chai in June last year. As Timmy Sung reports, the judge said a deterrent sentence is needed despite conceding that the defendant's actions weren't very violent. Shem Hyulun was the first person found guilty of rioting over the last year's social unrest. The court heard that he twice punched a plainclothes officer when he was being surrounded by protesters outside the police headquarters during a protest in June last year. In handing down the sentence, District Court Judge Anthony Kwok described the siege as extremely provocative and insulting. He said the protesters should have used legal means to air their grievances, instead of seriously challenging the rule of law by surrounding police headquarters and causing a serious disruption. Judge Kwok said while the level of violence used by the defendant was low and the officer wasn't injured, the situation could easily have gone out of control if the large crowd had been provoked by his actions. He said the fact that the defendant had a face mask on is an apparent attempt to conceal his identity was an aggravating factor. The judge stressed the need for the sentence to have a deterrent effect and send a clear signal that the public order cannot be destroyed by illegal actions. An accounting clerk has been acquitted of possessing an offensive weapon after she was accused of shining a laser pen at the police. Vicky Wong has details. The prosecution alleged that Wong Hoi Lam, who's 24, shone a laser pen at officers in Kwai Chung in August last year, but the officers were in a moving vehicle some 70 metres away. West Kowloon Magistrate Lam Si Kan said there was no evidence to show that Miss Wong had intended to hurt anybody with the laser pen, and she couldn't even if she had tried in this case, being as the police were so far away. The magistrate also noted that such devices were a commonly used stationary item and it would be fitting for Miss Wong as an accounting clerk to own one. He also noted that there were no protests taking place in the area on the day in question. Police have refused to give permission for a National Day march on Hong Kong Island, citing security threats and the pandemic. 
The Civil Human Rights Front had wanted to hold the territory's first legal rally in months to urge the central authorities to return 12 Hong Kongers being held in Shenzhen. The 12 were detained last month while trying to flee the SAR for Taiwan by boat. But police say the ban on public gatherings of any more than four people would still be in force on that day. They also say they believe there would be a risk of violence that would pose a severe threat to people's safety. Ocean Park has announced it's cutting the pay of its staff by between 5 and 15 percent. The theme park says it needs to maintain strict cost controls because there's no sign of business rebounding amid the pandemic. It says salary levels will be reviewed again at the end of the year. The rare sight of a tornado in Hong Kong was captured by an observatory camera this afternoon. Forecasters say the tornado appeared in Cheklap Kok at around 4pm and lasted for around 20 minutes. The phenomenon usually develops from intense thunderstorms when warm air pushes against colder air in an updraft and forms a column of vortex on land. Nine tornadoes have been reported in Hong Kong since 1982, with the last one being detected in October 2005. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Chief Secretary Matthew Cheung has dismissed the possibility of offering new subsidies to people who've lost their jobs during the pandemic. At a LegCo Finance Committee meeting, he suggested that those who find themselves unemployed should just look for work in a new field instead. Maggie Ho reports. On the agenda for the meeting was a government application for an extra $5.4 billion for its anti-epidemic relief fund. But lawmakers also took the opportunity to criticise the administration for what it's done so far, saying the measures rolled out haven't been enough to help people. DAB lawmaker Ben Chan says his party will support the funding requests, but some industries need more support than others, such as the cross-border, non-franchised transport firms. This subsidy is very important for those industries. Now they are already burned out their money, so we will support this round. However, I feel very disappointed that the government do not agree to set up the unemployment subsidies. Other lawmakers demanded more assistance for sectors they represent, including medical workers, fishermen, fashion designers and airlines. Both the pro-government and pro-democracy camps were united on one issue, money for those who have lost their jobs during the pandemic. Democratic Party lawmaker Andrew Wan says it doesn't make sense for the government to refuse this, as the unemployed are the most in need. It's just saving for other unnecessary uh, investment, but not saving the Hong Kong people, especially the urgent butter and bread problem. I don't think this round of anti-pandemic fund is helping the Hong Kong people. However, Chief Secretary Matthew Zheng rejected the idea of subsidies for the jobless. Speaking through an interpreter, he also said that whether the government will roll out a fourth round of anti-epidemic funding depends on its financial health and it needs more ammunition to cope with a possible new surge in COVID-19 infections in the winter. Further rounds of anti-epidemic fund, well, it depends. At the moment, the fiscal position is tight and we also need to consider the need for further procurement of vaccines, medical equipment, etc. It's premature to make a decision now. For those who are unemployed, those who have lost their jobs, for example, they have an option. Um, Because of the uh, restructuring of the economy, they may need to switch to another field. Mr. Zheng also said such people can apply for social welfare and they should already have been given severance and long service payments when they were made redundant. 
Unions across the political divide have called on the government to increase the minimum wage amid reports that it will be frozen this year for the first time since it was brought in more than a decade ago. Jimmy Choi reports. Sources have told RTHK that Labour and management representatives on the Minimum Wage Commission have failed to reach a consensus during a biannual review. Kingsley Wong, the chairman of the pro-Beijing Federation of Trade Unions, warns that a freeze in the minimum wage would effectively be a cut in wages, taking into account inflation. Currently, the minimum wage is $37.50 an hour. Mr Wong says in order for it to catch up with inflation, it should be increased by $2. He's also dismissing management representatives' concerns that a rise would create a so-called ripple effect, leading to pay increases for workers on higher salaries. He says since only about 20,000 workers are on a minimum wage, any ripple effect would be small. Veteran unionist and former opposition lawmaker Li Chat-yen shares a similar view, but he thinks even a $2 increase wouldn't be enough. I want to point out that it's not just a very short period of time for freezing wages. Uh, because it's a biannual review, it would mean that there will be two more years or two and a half more years of uh, freezing wages because the next review will be two years afterwards. So uh, it would be very, very, very uh, bad for the workers. And, and I think it is really wholehearted on the part of the government that when workers are suffering already, they, they decided to freeze the minimum wage. Mr Lee says instead of suppressing the wages of low-paid workers and putting all the burden on them, businesses and the government should focus on stimulating the economy. Children around the world have again been protesting about the lack of action to tackle the climate crisis. The Fridays for Future Youth movement designated today a global day of action, with large-scale marches replaced with other forms of activism because of the coronavirus. The activists say the pandemic has shown that politicians can act quickly when they need to, and using the best available science. Here in Hong Kong, 11-year-old Lance Lau was one of those taking part in a socially distanced beach cleanup. Beach cleanup and not a strike, then we're all going to bring our signs. <laughs> and we're going to be in groups of like two and three, so not necessarily like against the law. I do the strike every single week, and the beach cleanup I do like every once in a while when I can. So now I'm part of a, a movement that is one person, one site, 30 minutes, and you do it for 30 days whenever you're available. Student Ewan Winderbank from Climate Action Hong Kong says it had been difficult to maintain momentum for the movement even without the pandemic. He says they're focusing on keeping people's attention on the issue of climate change using digital activism rather than the more visually striking marches they organised in the past. Obviously we can't do those you know, big marches anymore and yes they are quite visually impressive but at the same time the whole goal is to one, raise awareness but two, also to maintain the community's sort of a focus on the subject because obviously you know in 2019 there was a huge push for it and now we're seeing a lot less attention for it so i think like the main thing we're going to be focusing on right now is just maintaining the sort of community awareness and this will be through instagram and other means although maybe less effective uh, we still intend to continue trying to push for it People flooded into Hong Kong Disneyland as it reopened today after a two-month closure because of the pandemic. Wendy Wong reports. Welcome to Hong Kong Disneyland Resort. Please remember to maintain good personal hygiene. The joy was evident on the faces of visitors and staff as the theme park reopened. 
Some Disney workers greeted each other with air hugs, in line with social distancing protocols. Visitors, meanwhile, had the temperatures checked at the entrance. The theme park has also introduced what it calls selfie spots to allow people to take photos with Disney characters from a safe distance. Some people we spoke to were not overly concerned about the spread of COVID-19. My son was very excited to come back to Disneyland. We'd promised him for a while, so we thought we'd come in while we could. But you're not too worried about the virus, right? Um, no, at the moment things seem pretty stable, so we're comfortable. I do worry about it, but I think for the kids, they do really need to go out. We are probably going for outdoor area, so we think it should be fine. I go to Disneyland. My favorite Disney character is Minnie Mouse. Today I want to play. Meanwhile, some visitors said they were disappointed that the government has ended an option for Disneyland to buy an adjacent piece of land for expansion. Others, though, are perfectly happy with the current setup. There's many Imagineers thinking of many, many expansions. And the Marvel, the Frozen, and every film they will just imagine and wanted to expand. But I'm very disappointed. We wait for a very long time for the second phase. But they turned down the plan. It's quite disappointing because Disney fans want more Disney parks. We're just enjoying what is here already. We're happy with what is here already. So disappointed? No, probably not. The park is open five days a week, shut on Tuesday and Thursdays, unless it's a public holiday. Visitors have to book in advance. The South Korean presidency says North Korea has expressed its regret for the killing of a South Korean fisheries official earlier this week. The BBC's Laura Bicker reports. The formal notice from Pyongyang said that Kim Jong-un was very sorry for disappointing South Koreans with what he described as an unsavoury incident. A South Korean fisheries official was found drifting in North Korean waters by patrolling troops on Monday. He was on a life raft after leaving his own boat just a few miles from the sea border with the North. It's believed he may have been trying to defect. Pyongyang claims its soldiers fired warning shots but got no response. After firing ten times, they said they realised the man was dead. They then doused the life raft in oil and burned it. The North claims it did not burn the body. Two people have been seriously injured in a knife attack in Paris, outside the former offices of French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo. At least one suspect has been arrested. The incident comes as the trial is underway for the alleged accomplices of the 2015 Charlie Hebdo attack, which left 12 people dead, including some of France's most celebrated cartoonists. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Police say a mother and son arrested over a weapons find and now suspected of a national security offence. A construction worker is jailed for four years for rioting and police refuse to allow a National Day protest over the group of Hong Kongers detained in Shenzhen. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. A hospital staff union that led a strike earlier this year to try to pressure the government to close the border as an anti-Covid measure says it's prepared for possible reprisals from the hospital authority. Yesterday, its chairman, Henry Fan, said letters will be sent to staff who were absent during this period, asking them to explain why they weren't at work. But Winnie Yu of the HA Employees Alliance says they're ready to fight back, stressing that the right to industrial action is protected by the basic law. Our trade union have prepared a legal team support 
since the set of, of our union last year. So we are ready for any legal action to tackle the legal action from the HA. And we want to reiterate that our industrial action was protected by the basic law, the Article 27. We have the right to strike and join the trade union and participate in any industrial action. As a trade union who organized the strike action, we would be responsible for any legal action to be taken by the hospital authority, and we are well prepared for that. So do you think it is kind of a, a, a revenge by the XA? I think it's, it's a kind of white terror rather than a revenge. I think they would cause some white terror on those staff who are threatened, uh, who are afraid of being fired or being discriminated by the hospital authority. What is the alliance going to do about the uh, the latest action uh, of XA? We have to study the, the content of the new letter or email claimed by Mr. Fan. We have to study the content with our legal team support and see if any legal action to be taken or we have we will draft a formal reply to all members and use the template of as a set standard reply to the hospital authority. And also the uh, uh, the XA chairman uh, Mr. Fan who said um, the employees were absent from work. Was it the case? Uh, we have to reiterate the terms of absence from duty or absence from work. is a kind of um, disconduct. And we have to emphasize that we have participated in a strike action for organized by a um, legally and official trade union not absent from duty without any reason. We will ask the members to emphasize this point again and again. The Consumer Council is urging Hong Kong's two biggest supermarket chains to offer more discounts to the public, as they've been enjoying a boom during the pandemic. Park and Shop and Welcome have announced cash coupons will be given to low-income households. Park and Shop also says it'll hold a lucky draw for cash vouchers. But the watchdog isn't satisfied. Its chief executive, Gilly Wong, spoke to Janice Wong. What we believe is, as a supermarket chain, they have the really strong market power. And also, especially you know, when their business is up, they should be able to offer much more discount to the public for a certain period of time, like three to six months, at a reasonable discount for every you know, purchase. So it is very direct you know, to the consumers because they can't compare every single item, but how much you know, they can save from Every bill is very perceivable. So what we believe is, you know, this is exactly what the supermarket should do. Earlier you expressed a concern over the parking shops, a lucky draw. Do you think uh, it's a good idea for them to go ahead with it then? I think, you know, it is a fact already with the government that, you know, they approved uh, the lucky draw. No matter what, you know, for any scheme that can uh, help the public to ease their financial burden, I think it can be pursued. But there are many details, you know, in the lucky draw that we... We want to remind um, the supermarket just not to make a supposed to be trying your luck kind of game, turn it to become an unhappy experience for the consumer. That's what we are talking about. 
But from another perspective, do you think it's realistic to ask uh, these two private companies to give back for the public good? I mean, after all, they are profit-making businesses. Well, integrity is something, you know, that we really always, you know, ask for, for any business. When we are not talking about you, sh- you couldn't make a profit. But please, you know, when this kind of time, everybody is on a difficult time, uh, help each other out. And that's what we are urging for right now. And is there a win-win scenario for both the firms and the public? It should be, because if you are helping the public, the people will feel it. You know, don't think the consumer is not that unreasonable. When they feel you're genuinely making an effort to help them out to ease the financial burden, I believe, you know, they will do. And because of that, you know, they may have more customers and uh, more inventory flow, and that can benefit the whole supply chain from the importers uh, to the wholesalers all the way down to the retailers and also benefit the consumers as well because everybody you make less a profit but um, people can buy more and ease out their financial burden. This is what we really want, you know, for the whole community right now. A green group says it's found heavy metal pollution near the Hong Kong Gun Club in Chun Wan. Green Earth says soil samples it took from slopes near the club all contained lead, arsenic and antimony, with some levels exceeding government safety limits by more than 100 times. A senior project officer for the group, Edmund Lau, says they also found hundreds of thousands of lead pellets and other shooting waste. He spoke to Joanne Wong. It is a very, very alarming situation and comparing to similar cases, that is a marine training facility at the California, state of California, that they fire a million of bullets every year. That's their soil pollution level of lead was only a half of the land that we concern right now. So I say this area of gun shooting activities in Hong Kong is even worse than a marine or army training facility overseas. Have you spoken to the government about this? We have been in contact with various departments that is responsible for the situation, including, first of all, the uh, land administrator of this land, that is the country park area, the water catchment channel, and also the greenbelt area. That they are, the responsible parties are AFCD, WSD, and the LANSD. And also we talked to, we contact EPD that is uh, responsible for a safety level of land contamination and so on, the restoration and prevention works. That we find WSD and AFCD are more proactive in the situation in terms that they do have uh, more site inspections and uh, even testing of the situation. However, there is a very large area. In fact, about half of the area falls on a green belt that is uh, to be administered by the land department, but they are still very, very slow and actually not responding to the situation or our inquiries of using their power to spot out the polluter. And also, EPD said they would follow up, and we expect them to speed up as soon as possible to define the polluter, the pollution level, and the area that is affected, and also how to do remediation and restoration work. Can you tell me more about the consequences of uh, this level of pollution? There are three ways that we concern. Number one, human health. Number two, ecological impact. And number three, the speed of the government working on the situation. So first of all, about the health, we see that there are squatter housing and farms at the area and also we see that it's a very far higher than tolerable level. It's saying 200 to 400 times exceed the safety limit 
of the EBD's guideline. And also, it clearly affects the water catchment, that is the Xingmun Reservoir's water quality. Although it might not be a very high level because it's highly diluted, but we do not accept any kind of shooting garbage live in the natural environment and waterways. Second, we're concerned about the ecological impact. When we did the soil sampling at the site, we don't see much grass on the land. That is probably the long-term contamination of the lead pellets that affects the vegetation in the area. And also, we saw cows hanging around and also fishes living in the water channels. That it is a uh, ecological impact that we concern that the pollutants affect the natural habitats. And we don't want to see one day AFCD officially to dissect some dead animals found in the area with lead pellets found in their stomach. The government department, as I said, are working kind of slow for now. We want them to speed up, especially the lens department, to use their power to prosecute or to point out who is the polluter, who is the responsible person for this situation. El Salvador has some of the world's strictest abortion legislation, with no exceptions made for rape, incest or even when the mother's life is at risk. Now a local woman who was sentenced to 30 years in jail for aggravated homicide after giving birth to a stillborn child has been conditionally released after six years behind bars. The BBC's Blair Tady has more details. Cindy Arraso is her name. She's 29 years old and she was accused of aggravated homicide after she suffered an obstetric emergency. Now, it's quite groundbreaking in a way that she was granted provisional liberty. There are 18 women currently in prison in El Salvador for similar cases. Um, and often in those cases, women who suffer these emergencies, who give birth to stillborn babies, they're accused of abortion, which faces a two to eight year sentence. But that is often increased to 30 years under the crime of aggravated homicide, which is the case of Eraso. They're still continuing to look for that full liberty. Human rights organizations are working on that at the moment. So we see the president, who is 38 years old, so quite young, Nayib Bukele, who has quite an interesting stance on this. He's promised to almost move away from this total ban. And this isn't the first time that we've seen a woman who has been released from prison under his presidency. In August 2019, there was the case of 20-year-old Evelyn Hernandez, who gave birth to a stillborn baby. Actually, it was quite a tragic story in an outhouse um, after she was raped by a gang member. So that was the first case under Bukele of a woman who was, uh, she was actually acquitted of aggravated homicide. Hopefully this opens up the door to these other 18 women who are currently in prison for related crimes. Abortion is a highly controversial issue in Latin America, which is a heavily religious area, heavily Christian. We've seen protests recently in places like Argentina, where the current president, Fernandez, has sought to overturn their strict abortion laws. That's actually been rejected or has not passed through Congress yet, um, in fact. So there have been protests for that, both for and against. It's heavily controversial in other countries like Ecuador. Congress rejected the reform to make it so that women who were raped could seek abortions. Often the cases are some women who seek these either who have these health issues or who suffer stillbirths or obstetric emergencies can't access health care. So it's really a social justice issue as well as criminal justice. One of the most powerful officials in the Roman Catholic Church has unexpectedly resigned from office without any official explanation. Cardinal Angelo Becciu is thought to be one of Pope Francis's closest allies, but he had become embroiled in a scandal involving the purchase of property in London. The BBC's John McManus has more. 
This resignation is quite surprising, actually. He was, until uh, a few hours ago, in charge of the Department of the Vatican that deals with sainthoods. But before that, he was a very senior official in the Secretariat of State, the main political department of the Vatican. And during that time, the Vatican undertook a financial deal where it purchased a stake in a property investment in Chelsea, one of the most expensive parts of the capital. It subsequently went on to buy the entire share of that investment, and that's now under investigation. It's been under investigation since last year. Now, we don't know why Cardinal Betchu has suddenly resigned, but his name has been linked with this financial scandal, which, by the way, last year led to Vatican police raiding the Holy See's own offices and several people being suspended, and earlier this year led to an Italian businessman being charged with fraud and embezzlement. It's quite unusual. It happens occasionally, but usually in the past two times it's happened with an American cardinal and with a Scottish cardinal. It was to do with allegations of sexual abuse. Now, that's certainly not something that has attached itself to Cardinal Betchu in, in any way. It's important to point that out. And also, with regards to this financial investigation, Cardinal Betchu has always denied any wrongdoing. But I think what's important about this is just getting into exactly what the Pope has done. Betchu retains the title of cardinal, but he loses all the privileges associated with it. One of the most important of those is the right to vote for the Pope's successor. If it is actually related to this financial investigation, it could be a sign that the pace has quickened in the Pope's efforts to control what's going on with the Vatican's finances, where all the money is, which, which accounts the money lies in, who's controlling it. He hasn't successfully tried to do this for several years now. He brought in an external order. That external auditor uh, was sacked by Cardinal Betchu, by the way. The allegations that there may be something murky in the Vatican's finances has really overshadowed the work of Pope Francis, particularly in his pontificate, which has focused very much on the poor and those who have very little in the world. This is a fight that he really wants to win. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. The Community Care Fund has launched the Living Subsidy Program for eligible non-public housing and non-CSSA low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. Applications are being handled in phases. Three-person households can submit their applications from now until the 30th of November in person or by mail to designated service units. For details, please visit the Community Care Fund website or call 2180-6666. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Absolutely, moments to remember. Time for you to take it easy, relax, and enjoy the music of yesteryear.
That was Evergreen, played by Richard Clayderman, his piano and his orchestra. Huckleberry friend 